a million black boys last year that wanted to play in the NBA. Of that million, only 400,000 will even make it to play high school ball. Of that 400,000, only 4,000 will be able to make it to play college ball. Of that 4,000, only 35 will make it to the NBA. Of that 35, only seven start. And the average life in the NBA is four years. So the real problem is we have a million brothers looking for seven full-time jobs that last four years. And yet last year we had 100,000 jobs available to be a computer programmer, engineer, or doctor, and only 1,000 brothers qualified. So our appeal to black males is to realize the odds. That that you do most will be that that you do best. I mean, we were the first doctor, not Hippocrates, in Hotep. So we have the ability either in math or science or music and sports. But that that you do most will be that that you do best. If you play basketball from 3 o'clock to 9 o'clock, you'll be a very good basketball player. If you went home and went to the library, you'd be a very good scholar. We need more black male role models that will encourage our youth in math and science. Welcome to a complicatedly misunderstood hour, a CO and a doctor production. Yo, what's good? Welcome back to the CMH episode 11, simply titled Fatherly Vision. Now, again, like I've said before, you guys know I start every show with some type of inspirational or entertainment type segment. It just depends on the mood that I'm in to get ready to pod. And so that is... From my classic Sally Jesse Raphael show from way back in the day where, and I'm sorry, I do not know the gentleman's name, but he gets on there and drops a lot of fact. And that's important because it's going to come into play later in the ep when I jump into the main segment. Um, but I just kind of wanted to ring the bell and open the door with something like that to get our minds thinking tonight. Because like I talked about last week, why are we like this? And that episode, um, I got a, a lot of good feedback. A lot of people said easily that's been the best CMH. So I appreciate those that have taken the time to listen. If you haven't listened yet, um, it's on every podcast streaming platform. So go out and give that a listen. Um, but this kind of like picks up um, on that one. But it comes from the perspective of myself as a black father, as a black male, as a black role model, um, and what fatherly vision can and can, what it can do and what it sometimes does to you uh, if there's a bit of disappointment. So I'm going to break all that down uh, later in the show. But first I want to start with um, I'm rocking my tea. Um, who did I help win today? And uh, that's from the boy Adrian out at I Respectfully Disagree podcast. So um, I seen the tea, had to get the tea. Um, been having it for a few days, Adrian, but I was waiting to my next pod to rock it. So I got it on now. It's my uniform for the day. So I appreciate you. Mario, I'm hoping for you to re-up because <laughs> I need to grab one of your teas too. But I mean, your shit sold so quick last time. All the color 
colorways was gone that I wanted and all the sizes that I needed were gone. So basically right now you got the colorway that most people wouldn't really mess with and maybe like a medium or something. And yeah, so don't think that I'm not supporting the homies there. I always support the homies. I'm just waiting on the restock. So hopefully uh, <laughs> Jess can put me in for the first one once you restock over there. A um, couple other things, man. Like, you know, I've been listening to these podcasts. Both my therapist made me do it, and I respectfully look at And they're dropping absolute gems, man. So with that, um, I want to also give y'all a bit of, you know, uh, I guess just shout them out and give them more love because though you're doing something and you're doing it for yourself, um, people can still inspire you. Like we're in this podcast space and we're not even in that space really together. You know, like we're not competing. We're not on some network or platform where our numbers are, you know, rated against each other. I don't know what them boys numbers are doing, but I'm just hoping they're doing great because they got great material. But it can challenge you to continue to be better. You know, the interviews you guys are putting on, the thought processes behind the information you want to bring, I appreciate that. It helps me to level up. It helps me to think about things in a different way. And it helps me improve in not only how I want to deliver, but also what kind of content I want to bring. Um, And so I appreciate that, real talk. Um, And so one thing that I've done that I'm actually creating right now or working with uh, an artist that I know is I'm actually going to rebrand CMH. It's still very much a C on the doctor production. Um, but me and P had a few conversations and uh, right now P is just dealing with a lot of case, a caseload, a case study, workload, however you want to look at it. He's in this amazing program through Stanford, which he talked about on our last podcast when he was actually applying for it. Well, he got in. And I mean, this is next level stuff. So, you know, as I keep telling you guys, that podcast is far from dead. It's still very much alive. But just our frequency is going to be very limited um, for the for, for the the near future. So since I've already been in this lane, you know, I just find it easier to brand CMH as its own thing. Still very much a C on a doctor, C on a doctor production, but it's going to be its own thing. So. I appreciate, you know, listening to my boys and listening to what they're talking about to help me to continue to think outside the box, continue to chase, you know, the ideas that I want to do and not feel like I can't go after that. Um, So here I am working on that. So that's one thing I'm proud of this week. Each week I'm going to try to give myself something I'm proud of. Um, And then, you know, like I said, man, there's so much that – people don't give each other credit for, right? There's so much negativity (laughs) that people throw around. Um, So with that, I mean, Adrian is on 122 eps. I think Mario said he just hit 44. And the reason why those numbers are significant, it's not about how many they are, but it's like, I mean, there's 122 chances to stop. There was 44 chances to stop if, you know, you wasn't quite getting the support that you might felt that you needed and things like that. But these boys keep driving. And here I am going into my fifth year of podcast. And I think about that. Like, I, <laughs> this is technically my fourth podcast, starting with C on the Doctor, then moving into Indie Boys, then developing and being a part of the Anvil. And now 
the CMH or complicatedly misunderstood hour. And, you know, I haven't had all this traction, like, oh my goodness, like, you know, I haven't had things that are accolades yet. But again, it's not why I do it. I do it because I've always felt like I had something to say and my platforms give me that opportunity. But I've had many a breaks, <laughs> long gaps when it's been hard to come back. But yet now there's a new drive. There's a new motivation, man. And and I'm just on it and I'm with it and I'm excited to be doing it. And, you know, I, I just am inspired by what people are doing and continuing to push in their dreams. It's making me want to go harder. And that's what I'm focused on. And it's been some, like I said, it's been some gems. Um, and so from Adrian's last podcast, 122, his a guest that he was interviewing left the show with this. Don't be afraid to delay gratification. And so I got to thinking about that. And I was like, what does that really mean? And basically what it was like, you working your ass off today, going through the trials and tribulations, because tomorrow, and I'm using that, you know, metaphorically. So in the future, you're not going to have to do that anymore. So you sacrifice now to benefit later. You know what I mean? I was like, yo, mad deep. And then last week, um, listening to an episode I had to catch up with Mario, his guest also dropped an absolute gem. And I'm trying to find it for certain so I can quote this one too. He said, where are we at? All right. Hold on one second. Excuse me. I should have had my stuff together. Oh, his guest, which was a producer. Sorry, I can't remember his name. Um, but he said, start somewhere. Your dreams are investments. Absolute gems, man. So here I am thinking about the first pod I shot back in 2017 around the November time frame. So I'm almost about to hit five years of podcasting. It was sometime in the November month, I think around the 26th or 27th or something like that, right right before or after Thanksgiving that year. And it's five years later almost. I'm like, damn, I've stuck with it. Though I haven't been consistent with a, with a product each and every week, five years is still very consistent. And now I got this different drive. I got this different passion. I got this different want. So I appreciate y'all each week for coming through and putting out great material because this ain't no competition, man. This is all support. But giving me something to listen to, something to absolutely like conjure in my mind and my spirit, something that I can actually focus on has helped me be at a different type of peace in my life because usually I just ride to work to <laughs> whatever my current uh, rotation is when it comes to my music. I know the songs inside and out. I know all the words, and I do that to as time to switch albums. But podcasting and listening to podcasts definitely get the mind working, man. So I appreciate you too. And so any other pods that are out there, hit me on my page. Let me know what you're doing. Like I said, I got another boy, CJ, um, the Who Am I podcast. He's just still trying to get his, you know, get reconstituted, but he's going to get back into it. He got a, a dope show. It was him and his boy Kevo, and they were, you know, always talking about the latest music. Plus, they talked about urban culture in general, so it was a great listen as well. But if there's other pods that y'all know of that I'm supposed to be listening to because y'all vibing with them, please let me know because um, I'm, I'm a podcast listener now, and I, and I like to support the indies. I'm with the independent movement much more than I am 
with uh, the big shows. I mean, I get it. They make a ton of money. They have a ton of content. They get to do this all day because they're getting paid. So it's always good to listen to them here and now. But I like to see the people who actually are hustling out here actually hustling, I mean, and doing it <laughs> on the grind where nobody's really pushing them. It's just them and their thoughts, man. So I'm going to always respect that. But enough about rambling, enough about the intro. Let's jump into it. And this week, we're going to do it a little bit differently. I think we're going to start with the funny, then we'll roll into complicated or completely misunderstood, and then we'll jump into a fatherly vision. So let's start with the rodeo. And uh, (laughs) we got to begin with an old video that before I went to senior NCOA down in, in Alabama, I had found this. And uh, I think I just got busy. Like I said, I didn't shoot nothing but one pod down there. And I don't think that I ever had an opportunity to <laughs> to actually let this video uh, make the show. So I had to dig in my vault and uh, bring it up. Um, I'm going back right now. But <laughs> living in Vegas, and though I've been to Vegas several times before living here, I can say I had never seen this meaning I had never seen, quite seen somebody go through it sure people come here all the time they gamble they lose money they they leave frustrated the whole thing but um what I'm about to play is a situation that in all honesty buddy really did not know how bad Vegas had an impact on his life it's about two minutes and some change but you have to listen to his struggle. Um, and it's not to put him down. It's not to make fun of him. But all it is in my mind and the thought process that I had was, damn, my dude, I don't know if it's fair to uh, blame this all on Vegas. But here we go. Hello, Mayor. My name's Alex Stein. And, um, um, you know, after hearing that testimony, it just shows me that, you know, Las Vegas is really not heading in a good direction because after my experience a couple nights ago, I had a very terrible experience where um, I think these casinos take advantage of people by giving people free drinks. Wait, excuse me. You said your name was Alex Stein? Yes. Okay, thank you. What I'm saying is these casinos give people free drinks and then they become vulnerable and then end up gambling more money than they have. Yeah. And I was the victim of that. And I lost a lot of money. And I'm facing a lot of issues right now. My wife's boyfriend recently got her pregnant. And I'm here for a church event um, speaking. For I'm a member of the Church of Scientology. And I don't normally drink. But I'm very vulnerable. I'm in a position now where I don't know what I'm going to do. Because financially, I'm going to have to take care of this baby potentially. Because he's out on parole right now. And he has an upcoming case where he could be facing a long time in jail. So potentially, I'm going to have to financially support this baby, and I come to Las Vegas for a work event, and I get fed alcohol, and I get entirely way too intoxicated. I go to the ATM. I use my credit card. They make it very accessible to be able to gamble with my credit card. You know this, Mary Goodman. They make it absolutely incredibly accessible, Councilman, to be able to take all I have. And now i got to go back to Clearwater, Florida, and I have nothing. I'm very, I'm very distraught. And the one good thing about this city, I will say, the one good thing is, I, of all the cities I've been to, it's the first city last night at 4 a.m. I saw multiple people on Fremont Street taking the vaccine. That's the only place I've seen a 24-7 vaccine uh, operation in the United States of America, and that's here in Las Vegas. I saw lots of people on Fremont Street doing the vaccine, and I, I want to commend you the one thing. But the vulnerability of the tourists that come here, like myself, 
it, you're preying on people like me. And then I end up meeting a nice Filipino girl. I take her back to my hotel room. Come to find out, I, I cost money for her service to come to my room. Mary Goodman. I, I, I end up having a, a good time. We start kissing. We take off her clothes. She has, she has male genitalia. She's a transgender. Mary Goodman. Excuse me. This, we're in a public venue, and I think. Please, could you, please, excuse me. Could you please be calm and whatever? You guys are preying on me, man. You know, when I'm out there, I'm vulnerable. Please. Bro, I'm sorry. But that just got better and better as it progressed. <laughs> Rabbit hole rodeo shit. Buddy came here married. Ended up having his wife, she got pregnant, he lost money because of the drinks, then he met a girl, so he openly was out here, you know, on the strip looking for something, that turned out to be a transgender, that threw him off, bro, what, <laughs> what? man, I don't understand how the internet wins so much, it never loses, man, but listening to that, I'm like, bro, what in the hell is going on, but we live in a society where we can blame a lot of things on everything, if that makes sense. From the way we sue each other, you know, you broke into my house and got harmed, yet you can still win a court case because you sued me because my house harmed you or I harmed you or whatever have you. It just puts me in, in the thought process that there is zero accountability, man. Like, Buddy's taking zero accountability for his life, for his actions, for anything. And it's crazy because, again, this is going to play into fatherly vision. You know, like, I feel like at some point, everything changed. Because when we were younger, I'm 40 years old. When we were younger, we had to have accountability for ourselves. We had to have accountability for our actions. And though sometimes that's still preached very much in modern day, I don't see it that way. I don't see it happening. I don't see people being responsible for the choices they make. I don't see people being responsible for the decisions that they that they make as well as the actions and the consequences that come from them so that was an incredible deep two-minute story of not having accountability of your life moving on this is just purely funny I, <laughs> uh somebody actually sent me this and then i would later see it uh surfing my own webs but uh people gotta chill man like there's a lot of shit that's happening and people are just doing shit just to me, honestly, get some type of attention, sometimes even notoriety. Check this crazy shit out. I'm the fastest reader in the world. I read a 1,679 pages book within two seconds. Yes. Go on. What is it? It, it was fast, so you didn't know. What, the, what just happened, Nana? What, what, what did you learn from the book that you just read? Spider. You said what? The first one is pretty good. I will, I will, I will chew your meat. Are you crazy? Take a head to joke with you. <laughs> Bro, what? 
<laughs> it's the questions for me. <laughs> Buddy asked, what you learned? <laughs> All right, man. See, <laughs> I always have to, like, start to work my way into some laughter, into some humor before I get into the serious stuff, which is why I was changing the order of the show, man. But are you kidding me right there? Like, he he thought he read three books. There was three books on the pedestal on the stool, and he flipped through them and said what he said, and then he wanted people to believe he read them shits, man. <sighs> Crazy shit ever, bro. Next, we got to chill out with the gritty. All right, now, all the young boys, they score touchdowns. They do the gritty. It's a whole movement, you know, uh, it's a TikTok dance. Uh, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, a couple of other young receivers in the NFL, they made it even more popular doing their thing. But there's some people out there that can't do this shit. <laughs> and it's starting to piss me off. Mike Jaseski, Jaseki, I'm sorry, of the uh, Miami Dolphins, he's a tight end. He has two absolute atrocious-looking gritties that he's done <laughs> this season alone. And the latest is Michael Buffer the ring announcer that says, are you ready to rumble? If you've seen his gritty, and if you even know what I'm talking about, tell people to chill, man. Like, it's okay to, you know, sometimes have fun and do your own thing, but sometimes everybody just needs to chill. They need to chill on this gritty shit. Next, this is probably the wildest story that I've heard in a long time. And if you remember on uh, See on the Doctor, we had a segment that we used to do, <laughs> and I mean, the shit just falls in our lap, right? Like, it's it's amazing some of the shit that we brought to News News, uh, but this would have been a News News candidate, so check this out. Man avoided sex with women after developing flu-like symptoms whenever he was having an orgasm. Like, real-life documented case. This is unfortunate so <laughs> this is what happens to buddy man and uh i mean i don't know it's it's i guess it is absolutely stumbling the medical community but what it is is uh in a report by urology case reports the young man would experience fever coughing sneezing muscle aches and concentration issues his ailment is known as post orgasmic illness syndrome a form of sexual dysfunction in men. Listen, fam. I don't know shit about that, B. And I don't ever want to know shit about that. But the body is, is both a mystery and a very much amazing thing for all that it can withstand and go through and recover from and you name it. But sometimes that mystery part is just a little too much for me. Look, we're all adults here. You know, my kids didn't get here because they were brought to a brought to me on a stork. Um, so with that said, uh, yeah, you know, most heterosexual males uh, my age absolutely enjoy being intimate with their spouse, their partner, whatever. So to think that I couldn't do that because it's going to give me the flu on every. <laughs> Release of my boys. That's a sad day, man. And sometimes life ain't fair. And I'll be asking those questions. God, what did I do? Because shit, what? So, yeah, there's prayers up for my guy. Uh, they don't mention his name. 
but uh, none of that really uh, makes sense to me. But furthermore, uh, so a couple of people that are investigating this. Uh, there are only 60 cases of POIS, and its exact cause is unknown. Uh, let's see. Symptoms begin after an infection or injury to the testicles. This leads to microscopic amounts of sperm leaking into the bloodstream, causing the immune system to respond. So, look, y'all be y'all be easy out there, man. Protect the boys, cause catching a flu-like virus, cause you're just trying to get one. That ain't it, my boy, at all. <laughs> so that's the rodeo. Uh, yeah, wild shit. We blaming everything that happens on Vegas. On Vegas is Vegas' fault. <laughs> the fastest reader ever. The gritty's got to chill. And last but not least, I pray sex for me never ends up in the flu. So let's move on, man. Let's jump into complicated or completely misunderstood. So here we go. Gen X. Yeah. We are the generation that people should fear. We were the par- <laughs> we were the generation that yeah. grew up without parents. Yeah. Hey, go home. Here's a fucking key. Yeah. Take care of yourself. Yeah. Don't let anything fucking happen to that house. <laughs> I'll be home at this time. <laughs> hey, it's summer. Get the fuck out of this house. Go outside. Don't get in trouble. Don't get arrested. Don't get molested. Yeah. Don't get kidnapped. <laughs> I know. Figure out a fucking place to eat. Maybe some of your parents just went to the grocery store. Maybe get a sandwich over there. Yep. Get home when the fucking street lights come on or yeah. when it's dark and don't get in any fucking trouble. A hundred percent. That's our whole life. Yeah. It's yeah. Just figuring out how to not get molested, kidnapped, yep. arrested, <laughs> so any true. of the eds. Yeah. None of them. <laughs> so true. Yo, bruh. That's wild. I had to bring that to complicated or completely misunderstood because real shit. Like, I'm not Gen X. I'm right after that. So I guess what they class a millennial. I was born in 82. But that was no shit our life. It's usually an easy story right away, right? To be like, oh, well, times are different. And, you know, I wouldn't trust my kids to do all the shit I did. And we grew up in a different era. And we throw all these, you know, random terms and synopsis around for how that was okay and acceptable then versus what is not today and i think two things can be true the difference is though things very much were real back in the day murder kidnap molestation rape you name it all the shit that's very much a problem today was very much a problem back then but today it's heightened, right? The internet, uh, movies, TV shows, accessibility to shit you can Google and whatever, blah, 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 just puts all that fear right in your face. It doesn't make you naive, you know, to believe like, well, yeah, that shit happened and it could happen, but I'm not going to prepare for that. But it's also kind of like a double-edged sword if you're not thinking like that. And I, and I bring that up for me, and I bring that up, and it's complicated for me, because though we all have our set of problems, like I said, I'm 40 years old, though we all kind of have our issues that derive from childhood and our experiences and all that, it made us well-rounded as people. And I'm not 
speaking with a broad brush and just talking about everybody's life as it was the same. But back then, <laughs> we could have been diagnosed with all kind of shit. Post-traumatic syndrome, anxiety disorders, uh, a lot of other mental health disorders that are out there. Uh, you name it. But life, and I'm not giving us a pass, but life gave us rules. Everything he mentioned. And within those rules, we learned how to operate. And operating within those rules gave us a sense of safety, sensibility, and a number of other things because we understood the system. What's complicated for me today is though we all feel that we do the best job we can do as parents. Some of us feel that we're better parents than other parents if you want to get into that realm. We don't have an established system. We Everything that he just said, from the street lights to don't turn on this, to don't let this happen, to understand this is the rules for this, that, and you name it, just like he went down that list. It's very rare that we see that type of system these days there's a lot of there's a lot more hope and when i say hope we hope our children don't do shit the fear that we have is that their maturity levels and maybe i'm speaking to me you know more than anybody else but we fear that their maturity levels don't prepare them for life so we overprotect them and then that creates this gap in trust that creates this gap in judgment and I feel like we force it upon them via ourselves because the world's just different what do I mean everything that was a learning experience back in the day from standing home by yourself understanding that you're supposed to be in by a certain time on and on and on and on and on the only true measured value <laughs> was if I don't believe what my parents say, or if I don't really think they'll do what they said, am I willing to deal with that consequence? And I think we had a certain mutual respect between our parents. Don't get me wrong, every now and then people go rogue. I had friends that did their own thing. But I think we had a mutual agreement, a silent partnership almost with our parents that I believe you, I trust you. I don't want to get put to that test. But one day I'm going to do it. One day I'm going to, you know, I'm a total line. I'm going to do a little extra more than I'm supposed to. And then like last week, we fucked around and found out. And then the learning experience was over with. <laughs> I knew what not to do. Never was going to do it again. And we moved on. Amicably. Hope I said that word right. Amicable. Yeah. But nowadays... We overprotect our kids. We overprotect them in a way that fear of what's going on, i.e. the world is crazy, drives everything that is a must-have for them, everything that is a they can't do that anymore, everything that is a I need to be here, there, everywhere because. And I'm not telling us to be neglectful and not, you know, protect our children that's in, that's psycho right that's crazy i got three hell yeah i protect my babies but at some point 
my thought process of why and how I'm protecting them was created by some other person, not me. And it wasn't like I was comparing myself to how my parents did or any of that. It's just the world said I'm supposed to do it this way. The world tells me, you know, my son can, can't can ride his bike without me looking. You know, like, but I rode my bike everywhere. My parents had no idea where I was, <laughs> right? But ain't no way in hell I let my 7-year-old, 8-year-old, 9-year-old, 10-year-old, shit, 12, 13, just get on a bike and go get lost for a day in the summer. Ain't no fucking way. Same way he said get kicked out the house all summer. Dog, we would have literally out the house from about 10 a.m. on a random Monday in the summer. And we came back in when the street lights came on. So using daylight saving time, sometimes that's 8.39 o'clock. Almost 12 hours of being outside. Unattended to. What? Ain't no fucking way. Oh, by the way, with no communication device. No cell phone. Maybe got a pager later, depending on your age. But yeah, with no cell phone for me to hold in 1993. What? I'm fucking right. (laughs) But now the world tells me that I'm irresponsible if my son or daughter, when they're them ages, don't have a thousand dollar device in their pocket, which I can FaceTime, I can call, I can ping, I can find my iPhone, I can track, you name it. I'm irresponsible and neglectful if my child is not equipped with such equipment so that I know that they're only across the street because that's my destination distance that they can go versus what we could go the complication is in that is and i'm gonna get more into this in fatherly vision is that that pressured coddled treatment of them delays their growth delays their process of growing up and we miss years what do I mean by miss years it's like kids are 15 16 sometimes and sometimes there's not enough trust built to hey watch your younger sibling because I don't know if you're mature enough to even do that So it's complicated for me to be to be able to evaluate. All right, look, you're 16 years old. You should be able to do this, but you don't really show me much responsibility and or accountability. So if I let you stay with your six-year-old brother, what's going to happen? Are you going to feed him? Is he going to agitate you to the point where you're going to neglect him? Are you just going to yell at him the whole time? On and on and on and on and on. Uh, I better see if there's an adult available. A certain (laughs) quick processing of information like that will have you questioning and wondering, like, why are these kids different? And I've said this many different times on many different episodes. Our success, whether that's, you know, know, a a handful of success, meaning we just got a decent job um, and a nice home, or our gratified success, meaning like, yo, we made it. I got a couple businesses, uh, I'm you know, a millionaire a couple times over, on and on and on and on and on. However you want to measure that cripples these children. Because for the most part, 
And I'm not saying there's not needy kids out there. I'm not saying there's not people that are struggling to have children. Of course, that's very much a thing. But when you look at your successes in life, they also impact your children's experiences and not sometimes being pushed to difficult decision making or critical thinking measures because mom dad situation forces you to grow up quickly or forces you to grow up in a different way you're not ready for it hinders you and it keeps you at bay and you feel like oh well everything that comes to me is supposed to come to me supposed to have this cell phone i'm supposed to have this tv in my room i'm supposed to i'm supposed to all these new shoes come out all these i want a new outfit this is supposed to happen blah 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 blah. because we got it i look around my house adrian just did an amazing podcast on you know money and how he views it you know with his guest but sometimes the materialistic aspects of life give you this false sense that oh man these people got it they made it and even though that might be the case you got it. You made it. <clears throat> Your children <laughs> don't got it. They ain't make it. <laughs> I ain't being funny. I'm being truthful. But they get empowered by your success and they just think that this is life. And they're not ready. And we're not ready for them to be ready. And we'd be like, well, damn, where did we miss the beat? Our parents work long hours our parents worked multiple jobs our parents took us to uh practices and games and all this it's like why did they seem like they had more time in the day why did it seem like i don't have no time in the day why does it feel like i don't get the opportunity to be with my kids and grow them and do this like my parents or grandparents and so and so did because something is driving us and helping us focus elsewhere than implementing I guess what we feel is purposeful for our children to be successful and to have more trust and to grow up in a complete way I think that I'm a great father in a lot of ways but I think I missed the beat in a lot of ways and it's complicated very complicated for me to understand or to even view than just my lifespan the way that we see the world has changed so much people act as if it's more dangerous now than it was then no bro back then to me was more dangerous if not it it was as dangerous if not more people get kidnapped today but bruh back in those days 70s 80s serial murders everywhere Green River killings in the Gen X time frame, maybe even a little bit earlier. <clears throat> the Ted Bundys of the world, Ed Gacy's of the world. Oh my God, Jeffrey Dahmer's of the world, bro. Like what I'm saying is, though those individuals exist now, we were still able to free roam, and we learn things from our friends. Not always the greatest things, but we learn things from our environment. Not always the greatest things, but we had street smarts and we were trying to balance those out with our no kidding, you know, book smarts. Nowadays, good kids are shelter kids. They sometimes become introverted. And this is not a broad brush, but a lot of kids are smart these days and they're introverted. They, they don't have social skills. Their cell phones become their their best friends. And if you take that device, they collapse. 
and if you, they can't play their video games and be online and you know stroke their ego and bravado from the character or avatar that they're playing with then they feel like they're nobody when somebody starts some shit on instagram or snapchat or tiktok and it it affects their pride or affects who they feel like they're a person that's their mental health shutdown <laughs> versus the type of shit that we had to deal with and it's 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 frustrating at times because a lot of us if we're really being honest we can't empathize we can't connect with that we try because we have no we have no choice but to do our damn best to understand these kids <clears throat> But I feel like in a lot of ways, man, and this is not taking no shots at anybody to include myself, but too many other people, I know they say it takes a village, but that village actually, in my opinion, when I was a kid was very active. Sometimes the village these days are electronics, <laughs> televisions. Uh, when I say friends, I'm not really saying friends, I'm saying just connective connected tissue that is friends have more impact on what a child is going to experience how they're going to look at themselves much more than than how it did us not promoting fighting by no way fighting is not a good thing hell i wasn't a great fighter i didn't learn how to really fight till i was older but the <laughs> there was lessons learned in those fights the fights these days are much different like the fights these days are usually deaths if they even make it that way and it's not encouraged it wasn't encouraged back then but sometimes that's how you just work shit out sometimes that was between cousins you know sometimes that was between family members siblings i've seen it all but you gained a different respect from people and people work their their issues out nowadays kids take their lives because they don't fight their their battles so think about that and i'm not always talking about fist fighting they just don't face they're bully they just don't face the situation and it's complicated when you learn way more than completely misunderstood but it's complicated mis complicatedly misunderstood when you learn why a kid may have gone to that limit to take their life and it's never worth it it's never even close a couple kids picked on a couple kids made them feel bad a couple kids started a nasty rumor and this child chose their life as the way out versus facing the issue whereas in our day our environment taught us to face the issue whether you were afraid of it whether you know you wasn't ready to do it whatever we still had the courage kind of internally and our environment forced it upon us our parents did in a way our friends did in a way the situation did in a way but it's sad to hear the things that we hear, man. So that video sparked a lot of passion <laughs> for the way things are different nowadays than when they were in my day as a youth and teenager. And it's frustrating, man, because with everything that was said here, it also impacted the way that we looked at things, the way that we wanted things, the way that we worked for things, the effort that we put into things the spirit that we had to be a starter on whatever team the spirit that we had to to no kidding support competition meaning like i'm not just going to accept what the coach said coach said i'm second string fuck that he can say that on monday but by friday he gonna be reevaluating his thought process that's the way we did it 
growing up and not having a lot, but still being taken care of, when somebody had more than you, sometimes your talent is the only thing that you could do better, or that's the only thing that you felt that you can do better to make your life better. And you don't go out there and beat on the weaker kids, but you you rose to the challenge because you was like, look, I'm more than what my environment says I am. I'm more than what my surroundings are. I'm more than this neighborhood that you know I'm from. I'm smart, I got skills, and this is an opportunity to play against somebody where I can put that on the line. Same thing that I, I did in certain programs, going back to what you heard when you very much started, what the black role model needs to be. We gotta get away from this one track mindset that the only way to win is if you're really good at sports. We gotta exercise our brain power too, man. And so I remember challenging myself when they put me in a program that I didn't wanna be, be in. I didn't wanna be in the math science magnet program as we called it in Indianapolis, Indiana. I thought it was gonna label me a nerd, which it did. I thought it was gonna put me in pressure situations when I had to do more work and harder work than other people. It did. It made me take up crazy electives that I thought people were gonna think I were weird, like band, it did. But at the end of the day, I was well-rounded. I was still able to keep my identity to where I was from. But I also challenged myself. A lot of kids don't know how to do that no more. And it's because situations that derive from our parenting, we overprotect them. We don't expose them to anything. Oh, my baby. Oh, my baby. We were somebody's baby, too. And for the most of us, our parents did a damn good job. I know mine did. But their situations just put me in a different experience bucket. But it also defined me and made me the person I am today. My question to close this segment. Has your experiences as a parent crippled your children in ways that maybe you don't see right now? But you might sense when they get older and you wonder why they don't quite get it like you did. But you got to ask yourself, at what part did your success play into that? It's not just spoiling them. But in all actuality, what could we have done differently? (laughs) We're not going to just, you know, make our lives more difficult so that they learn. That's crazy. But with the wealth, though there's still a gap, it's much different. The success is much different than what our parents' generation was. A lot of our parents graduated high school, found a job, worked a job. A lot of us went to college, graduated college, got a degree, found a career. Listen to what I said now. Found a career, bought our first homes. A lot of us, I can speak for myself, didn't grow up in uh, home, i.e. my parents bought said home. I lived in certain houses, but for the most part, I grew up in a townhouse for the majority of my life. Renting. There was no ownership there. <clears throat> Not saying that that affected me in a negative mindset, but I'm saying our parents' lifestyles, my parents' lifestyle was much different than me parenting my children today. They did wonders for me. I had nice shoes, clothes, roof over my head, you name it. But no... But by no means were we abundant. We were abundant. I mean, like we didn't have hundreds of thousands of dollars and, you know, the newest cars and a home and blah, 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 blah. But a lot of us can say that our children know that life. And then a lot of us can also say 
and our kids don't know how to work for shit either and so now let's move into fatherly vision watching shows man um it's one of my biggest pastimes now i'm an old lazy fuck <laughs> i don't hoop as much as i do anymore uh, i haven't found a video game that really captivates me like it maybe once did um and so after i'm done doing work and when i was in school doing homework and doing my parently duties and husbandly responsibilities and everything else i just like to find a show and i like to binge I'm not a weekly watcher, so I usually try to, like, let it all build unless it's something like the House of Dragons or Game of Thrones when that was still running. So in some of these shows that I've been watching in the past and more recently, I just tend to pick out a deeper storyline than maybe what the main storyline is. And there's three individuals, three individuals, that I'm going to talk about, and we're going to elaborate elaborate on the fatherly vision. So the first, I'm going to start with the most current show that I'm watching, and that's House of Dragon, King Viserys. So Viserys the Peaceful is a very humble man that for the majority of his life was fighting an ugly illness and fighting the internal battles of trying to keep his family together. See, his vision for his family from his appointment as king was take care of the family first, instill certain values in the family, and that will reflect on our bloodline, which will then protect and keep our kingdom so the people happy and satisfied. So he had to cover up certain ugly things. I'm not going to ruin the show. He had to face certain ugly things. He had to get into ugly battles with brothers and his wife at times and siblings and cousins and you name it <clears throat> but towards the end of his life he felt <laughs> that he was in a good place with his family though he had been in a tumultuous one for years he felt like he got it together and then he would pass and he would realize not he would realize but we would see that he was far from what he thought he had accomplished in those last hours because now it's ultimate turmoil then I'm going to move to James Dutton from Yellowstone he's lost his wife he's lost children the kids that are left they don't really get along they respect him they honor him but they don't necessarily like him he teaches them hard lessons, and ultimately, he finds himself still not trusting them, like kind of like I talked in the last segment, but having to put them in positions to do things that he doesn't feel like they're capable of. But he's a race against time because he, too, has health issues at the part of the show that I'm at currently. So I feel like he's been trying to push his limits and boundaries to help his family get ready because he wants he says I don't want to be the one that after over 100 X amount of years loses the family's legacy which is this massive piece of land in Montana the Yellowstone 200,000 some odd acres and then we're going to go back to power 
and there was Ghost. And Ghost had, you know, the urban street culture life that a lot of the people I know personally may have experienced in some way, shape, or form. So drugs coming up became a kingpin, opened up a few businesses, remained in the street life, but removed himself to become more of a businessman, entrepreneur, almost made it to the politician status, had these big dreams and goals for his family, plotted paths for them all. And then he realized, too, that he was unable to have the fatherly vision that he saw for all of his children and family. The money, the power, no pun intended, in all ways destroyed what he had built. So at the end of his life, his family was not in a position mentally, emotionally, or anything stable that he thought they would be based on his success. Why is this shit important? Why is this shit important? I said important. Looks at me. Why is this important? Because as a father that is neither a king, neither a massive landowner, or a business owner, I too have had a vision for my children. I too have had a certain, I guess, goal, path to do certain things in my life that would put my kids in a better position um, than I was. I wanted to leave them something, give them some type of generational wealth, establish certain traits in them, um, have a certain value system that I wanted them to follow, you name it, on and on and on. And no, it hasn't been the traditional track where it's, you know, um, just based on education, religious principles, and a value system that's summed up in one phrase, work hard. For me, my fatherly vision was to connect with my kids in a way through my own personal successes that gave them a limitless belief in themselves that no matter what the odds, there's always more inside of you than you think. Potential isn't something that's written into a certain skill set, and whether or not you meet that, your life will depend upon it. So what I mean, if you're a talented football player and everybody says you have potential, the end goal is to make it to the pros. But if you didn't make it, then if all you ever had was that potential in that sport, so football is our example, then you feel as if your life is very much unsuccessful and you're unsatisfied, and oh, by the way, because life comes at you fast, you're still young with your entire path and future in front of you, and you don't see it that way because you didn't play sports after high school, or you actually made it into college, and it was much harder than you thought it was, and you flamed out, and your career's over. Oh, but by the way, you're only 22 years old, or whatever it may have you, so now what? I've seen a lot of people burn out. In my lifetime, while I was in college for my two and a half years, early in my military career, um, you name it, I seen a lot of people burn out. And then I indirectly saw a lot of people my age become huge successes in shit I knew nothing about. 
the whole dot com boom. Holy fuck. Like I was hearing word of mouth or back in the day, I'm sure my age, MySpace. Some bitches is millionaires overnight because they had something to do with Napster. They had something to do with this dot com. They had something to do with that dot com. They sold it. They made all this money, bought some other businesses. Holy hell. And the valuation system for me at that time was I ain't doing shit because I got this measly ass A1C senior M in career. Going back to my fatherly vision. My path that I put in my books, the story and the roles that I told were very open. Wounds that I had never faced really outwardly. I put in that book not to just connect to the readers that were you know, people I had never met or people I barely knew. But for my kids to see my journey and have it be written in words where they can always reflect back to it. Almost like a reference guide. Almost like a note taker. Not to live and learn from my mistakes, but understand that look at me now at 40 years old, but look how many lifetimes <laughs> I seemingly lived. Look how many experiences I went through with no ideas, no plans, no you name it. But here I stand. See, my limits, my limitations, as I say, as a father, could sometimes be summed up in what I felt I didn't get from my own father. Though my father was a very, very strong black man that was a protector first, nurturer last, his experiences and taught lessons to me were not in a sense of, hey, son, you're under my wing. Let me show you step by step. It was more so here's the directions. I've given you the blueprint. I showed you once. Go and make it happen. And because there was always a reward system, i.e., hey, dad, I want these new J's. <laughs> Okay, you got to work six weeks to get the $115. I don't know shit about money and math. Who gives a shit? I'm on it. The reward was I got the shoes. The reward was never I spent that time with my father. I wouldn't understand that until much later. And then I realized that I was living a life very much like that. Because what I was able to do with my oldest son was be there in more ways that I felt my father couldn't be for me. But I still wasn't understanding what it is that my son needed from me. So my fatherly vision was, hey, I'm here. Respect this. Take this time. Embrace this time. Make this time impactful because, hey, I'm present. But that's not how fatherly duties work. And his vision, my fatherly vision for him would not be the story of his day-to-day. -day. I didn't impact him in a way that I thought I did. And sometimes I would take that on the chin. I would feel like I failed him because he struggled in school. I would feel like I failed him because all the times that we put in all the hard work during his you know, youth football time and working in the summers and hiring personal trainers and doing all the other shit did not equate to him getting more minutes in high school or being a standout star and all this other shit. So I went through that vicious cycle. And that cycle was more mine than it ever was his. And that disappointment that I felt was because I valued the time I put in, not valuing 
the time that was being with my son. And I didn't even understand this, man, until the kid was already a junior in high school. He's a senior now. And that's just one kid. See, my fatherly vision for my daughter, who for the majority of her life didn't even live with me. After me and her mom split, of course, she lived in Indianapolis, Indiana, and here I am living in different states, whether that be uh, Arizona, Texas, Ohio, uh, now Vegas. And so my fatherly vision for her was I have to outwardly spoil her to remain a part of her life. Yeah, I want to talk to her as much as I can. But I understand her life doesn't present that when she was in high school. Her life didn't always present that every summer because things were changing. She was playing travel and volleyball, and she just didn't have time to be on the phone. But if I can show up every time she needs me, and I'm not meaning physically, if I can show up every time she needs me, hey, Dad, can I buy this? Hey, Dad, can you give me money for that? Hey, Dad, hey, Dad, hey, Dad, I need, I need, I need, I need. Then my fatherly vision was that that young lady would always know that her daddy had her no matter what she needed. But the only true thing that I could tie that to, in all honesty, was finances and giving her money. So lo and behold, what did that yield? When there was times that I knew nothing about her current day-to-day life that was important, the money that I had spent, the, the amounts of time that I had spoiled her, played nothing into that. That gave me zero value. The disappointment there was, hey, I'm your dad, and I think I'm just as important as your mom, and yet I know nothing about you. How fair is that? But see, I had not invested the time into building a relationship that was her life without me. I did not invest time into knowing who my child was and she was developing into other than just seeing report cards and knowing, well, damn, I know she's wicked smart. I didn't see the value in investing the importance in understanding that though I'm not there as a as a present whole, meaning I'm not there day to day, how many times can I be there in different ways? What does that even look like? Maybe she did need to cry one day, and because she only speaks to her dad a couple times a month, I'm not the person to cry to. Maybe I could have tried something that kind of like stole her heart, like write her letters or write her poems and actually mail them to them. We become pen pals. Maybe I could have done a bunch of different things that I would read about years later, but never invested the time to think about it at that moment because all I cared about is ensuring that she knew I was there. And me being there, like I said before, was financially more than anything. But just in the last six months, from April to October, in her eighteen year old in her eighteen year old life, she's almost nineteen. Our relationship has outgrown the entire previous eighteen years before it. And it's not that I'm more available, because I still don't live in Indiana. And sure, it's because we're older and she's more mature and she's more comfortable and I get that part of it. 
but I'm learning more about her today that's about her younger life than I could have ever known by buying her shit. <laughs> the time that I tried to invest in her was the wrong time. And I had to pay for that when I was in silence and knew nothing. But now her and I talk four times a week. She tells me everything that's going on in her life. She shares that information that she only used to share with her mom with me. And it's never too late. And then there's the little one. Fatherly vision. How do I get him to not walk the same path as his old, older siblings? And when I say that, I'm not saying it in a negative way. I'm saying how does he have his own unique life experience? Because what we are sometimes guilty of is we know how to parent one way, one style, and we deliver that to every child. And that can be from the way we motivate, the way we communicate, <laughs> the way we educate, you name it, you name it, you name it, you name it. And though we are told and we understand that they're very much their own little people, I don't know if we ever give them that 100% credit of being their own person. And so we treat them like their older brother. We treat them like their older sister, so on and so forth. And so my biggest fears with him was, am I going to learn from, A, yes, my mistakes with parenting the older two, but more so, am I going to effectively reach him to in a way that taps into who it is that he is? Because I missed the boat on both of those situations with his older siblings. Completely missed the boat. And so I found myself unfairly, but fairly, allowing him to be a child more. I mean, by the time the oldest one, oldest son was seven, eight years old, sure, he still had toys, but that wasn't the emphasis. We went down there playing dinosaurs or playing wrestling men, though he still had his own version of the toys he liked. It was time to go pick up a football. It was, go, it was time to go pick up a basketball. And though the little one is dribbling a basketball and maybe catching a baseball and he's played a t-ball season here and there and caught a football and played a flag and hasn't played in a basketball season yet. Like, that's not the emphasis at the moment. Be a kid as long as you want to be. Because in a lot of ways, I got that opportunity. You know, I grew up faster in my, I guess you can say in my teens, just because life presented certain things. But I got to be a, a kid pretty much as long as I wanted to be. And I can't say that I fairly allowed that, especially now with my oldest son. And so I didn't want to pressure the youngest one into sports. I wanted to give him different avenues that I didn't present to the older ones. Whether that be something that's, you know, musical, something that's more like, I mean, kids code now. I know there's a place called Code Ninja. Uh, shit, I never took swimming classes. Maybe it's like, hey, do you want to try swimming classes? On and on and on and on and on. I wanted to mold him in a way that would give him more opportunities than just what I saw. Because my fatherly vision actually changed. And I understood my imbalance. I understood why I was the way I was. And in all honesty, after I got past that initial blame, which was what I grew up with and what I experienced, I got to see and realize that 
the value that I placed on that was way more impactful on my life than it had to be. For what it, for everything that I did have growing up, for everything that I did experience in a positive way, for everything that my father was and everything everyone else was, I never leveled that out. It was always what I didn't get, what I didn't have, what my focus wasn't allowed to explore on and on and on. And in a lot of ways, that's how I parented because I didn't want my kids to miss those quote-unquote opportunities. I didn't want my kids to not feel like I wasn't there. Though in Jasmine's case, I literally wasn't there. And I thought that that would then put them in this, you know, I don't know, superb place of perfect kid. Gets the grades, uh, star on whatever sport they want to play, um, knowing what they want in life, knowing what college they want to go to, you name it. I felt like all of that would just innately happen. But my fatherly vision for them left me with a lot of disappointment because that didn't always happen. It didn't always play out that way. My frustrations were what didn't I do versus who are my children? So now I go back to Viserys, James Dutton, Ghost. Their success, their idealism for what their family dynamic was going to be and what they were kids were going to inherit and on and on and on drove their value system because in a lot of ways it was power wealth um property opportunity influence you name it that's what their fatherly visions in my opinion was or what they had to you know contemplate when it came to their children my fatherly vision was never anything like that. But even still, but even still, a disappointment was there because I felt like my kids were not what I thought they were going to be. And again, that's not to say something negative about either one of them. But it's just like that pressure to be a good parent never came with instructions. That that pressure to provide and support and to teach parents never came with a handbook. And you couldn't help but to see certain things around you, not knowing the entire story, but to feel some kind of way if maybe your kid wasn't in that group. And it's not, oh, those are the smart kids and my kid's not. Not nothing like that. But that growth and that development and everything else, like, what's happening? Whose fault is that? Who's to blame? Why am I blaming? Where's the frustration deriving from? Why can't I get this right? Why isn't this something that's just natural? And that's what my mind continued to do to me. It's not no eye-opening realization one day that, oh, they just get it. I'm going to tell you, that's not real. But at the same time, what is just getting it? The way we grew up, the way we were challenged, the the experiences that we had goes back to my last segment. Our kids don't get that. The way that we saw the world, our kids don't get that. 
because they see the world very much digitally. We didn't see it that way. So the frustration, if there is some, is that we try to compare our lives to what their lives are without merit for what their lives are. How would we have been had we had all the advances in technology and life was at a snap of a finger for us? I guarantee a lot of us wouldn't be what we are today. And I'm saying that in both a positive and negative manner. Because today these kids are too reliant upon their technology. Like I mentioned before, you take it away from them, they crumble. Like I was telling my kids back in the day, I played Sega Genesis at the end of the day. I went out, played, I chased girls, I hooped, I got into trouble, we climbed trees, we went places we wasn't supposed to, we did daredevil shit, we backflipped, <laughs> what the fuck? we climbed fences, shit, we picked fights, we got in fights. I mean, the list goes on. They got their phone, bro. And some of them are magicians with the phone. They can make that shit do all kind of shit. And they get their values, not values, but they get their uh, excitement from that. They get their uh, worth, that's the better word, from that. What? Oh, look how many followers I got. Look how many people clicked on my last picture. Look how many people, like, added me in this and that. Whereas, like... We walked on a court somewhere that was not the court that we traditionally played on. And word got around school that your squad showed up on that court and ran shit. And now y'all the talk of the school. That's what we got hype off of. You shot your shot at a female back in the day. And it wasn't no cheater system. What I mean by that. If you wanted to like press the buttons and ask the right wrong questions, you had to step up to the plate. Now days, just send me a picture. Or, hey, don't you got such and such number? Yeah, let me get that. Okay, boom. <sighs> I'm going to shoot this shot real quick and see what she say. She left me on red. I guess that's a miss. Oh, she said, what's up? I guess that's a win. Like, nah, bro. <laughs> we had to go ask for the phone number. When you advanced a little bit, you had to ask for a kiss. And, hell, I'm not even trying to be funny, but shit, you know, when you got into that sexual realm, shit, that was a conversation, B. <laughs> like, face to face. First first base, second base, third base, you know those are real things. <laughs> those are real bases you can see on the playing field. Well, that's how we, you know, use that metaphorically when we talked about what base you made it to if you made it to a base. The bases are always loaded, and it's always a fucking in-the-park home run when you got technology because can I see? Sure, boom, there it is. What? <laughs> and I'm not making light of that. But I'm just saying that's the type of world that we live in. So we had to push ourselves to certain heights, limits, expectations. We had to step into certain pressure situations where we actually had to be in there. I remember getting anxiety from doing a speech in high school. Absolutely. That's a normal thing. But these kids get anxiety from talking to people. That wasn't a normal thing. That's the difference. So going back to wrap this up, man, I've been yapping. I'm sorry. And this is supposed to be a complicatedly misunderstood hour. So, man, I'm missing the beat the last couple Fs. But my fatherly vision 
was defined by things that I never sought to evaluate or check at certain times. I don't know if that was supposed to be on a on a one year basis, two year basis, monthly basis, whatever. But I kind of just had this thought process for my kids in general. And when they didn't I want to say pan out or when they when they when they didn't <laughs> end up where I thought they would be. I was upset. And maybe that's unpopular opinion to feel that way, but I was disappointed. Sometimes I was frustrated to the to the angle of being pissed off. Because I provide for these kids. I give them a good home. I work my ass off. You got this shit. You got that shit. You ain't never got to ask or want for nothing. Me and your mom do this, that, and bam, and boom, and whatever. When my parents spoke, we listened. When they said do this, it happened. You name it. Yada, yada, yada. And I always struggle to connect to who are you. And I think in a lot of ways, going back to that respect thing that we talked about, that <laughs> that 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 trust bond that we made with our parents, they didn't necessarily have to do that. Their parenting, their generation, their style, their environment, the whole everything was built in a system that, look, you fear your parents. I mean, I grew up understanding you fear three men. God, your grandfather, and your and your father, pretty much in that order. That's just the way it was. And I'm not saying that my kids don't respect me, and I'm not saying that my kids kids don't fear me in a certain aspect. I don't want them to walk in the house and be like, "Oh shit, dad about to kill me." Not in that. Not in that mindset. Definitely not in that mindset. But my kids don't fear disappointing me. I fear disappointing my parents. And that fear kept me on the straight and narrow. And yes, I have the right to feel disappointed in different times based on certain situations. But the difference between the two, I don't think I defined what disappointment was. Disappointment of my parents was clearly defined when I was a kid. Primarily, that's on me. And it's no excuse to say I didn't know how to do. And it's no excuse to say I didn't ever change, you know, my direction. I just stayed with it. And it's no excuse here, there, or anywhere else. But my fatherly vision for them was never truly based on them. And so I never really correctly melded the two. And that's the toughest pill to swallow. So that's been my time. Man, I'm sorry I went long. Um, You know, I can get deep. I'm going to talk about things that have a certain reflection. And usually I'm that reflection. In a lot of ways, it's dangerous <laughs> to step out like this because you make yourself so vulnerable. But it's powerful to step out like this because my vulnerability hopefully hopefully gives strength and hopefully gives knowledge to somebody who has a chance to look at their situation in a different way than I did. And that's all that knowledge is. Wisdom 
to me, is not based on how much you know. Wisdom, to me, is based on how much you care to share. And so I hope that I can put that out there, and I hope that I can give that information, that just I, just my life experiences. I, by no means am I a doctorate of anything to be able to say, look, I get paid to give gems. But sometimes we value that too much and we miss the mark because this person was paid to give me the light and their light might not be the one that needs to be reflected on you same as this this might not be the reflected light but to steal mario's thoughts there's something for everybody and i gave you almost <laughs> i almost gave you 90 minutes worth and it was not the plan tonight um but yeah, so all love, follow me um, wherever you listen to podcasts. Like I said, here shortly, hopefully once the designer is done, there's going to be a new CMH separate logo. It's going to be a separate feed, its own podcast. Still very much a C on the Doctor production, but C on the Doctor, once it uh, rejuvenates and restarts, that will be its own podcast. and. This will be its own podcast. Mario, I can blame you for that a little bit because every time you say see on the doctor, you're like, oh, my bad, CMH. And I realize how that can be confusing because you're not the only one. Um, so there's been no kidding to include this one, 11 episodes of CMH. But if you count see on the doctor, I mean, shit, that's 75, 80-ish episodes. So I just decided to separate the two just for ease. But this is still very much a see on the doctor production. So if we ever institute a bigger idea for a company platform this is just one of the products under it if you look at it like that but i want to leave you with something that's super inspirational it's one of my favorite artists and it's going to be the way that i close every show whether it's your first listen or you listen every single time this is my closing piece like if i ain't creating nothing i don't feel good you know, so at a certain point, you got to feed yourself, and sometimes you can't feed on mimicking, but you got to put the time in to figure out who you are and what you are, what you not, too. A lot of times, what you not is very important, you know, because you can want to be something, but your strength is actually in something else. That is what makes you start to do your own thing and that's when your skin start to breathe and you start to like get into your primal self you know and your primal self is the best contribution to the planet you know? follow your passions chase your dreams your time your dreams are investments like Mario's guest said and so to all the creators to all the visionaries keep doing your thing it's your boy co thank you for your time